All right. Well, welcome once again to the Nefesh podcast. This is episode 51, and I am so excited to have a special guest here, Pastor Mikey. And then how do you say your last name? Cheshire? Cheshire. Yeah, Cheshire. 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 This sounds French. Is that French? It's, it's English. It's like the Cheshire cat, that kind of thing. All right. All right. In Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Well, it's so good to have you, Pastor Mikey. You had the privilege of interacting with you earlier this year, and you came and recorded a course uh, for SUM Bible College and just got to got to know you pretty well and hear some of your story. And I thought, oh, this would be beautiful to have you come and share on this podcast. And so welcome. Thank you. Now you are married. You have a couple kids. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. I'm married 22 years. I have a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old. They're both beautiful, precious. They love God. All's well. Everybody's healthy. Wonderful. And then you are currently serving as associate, is it associate pastors? I'm serving in one of those curious roles that is difficult to define. <laughs> um, we came in, um, I, I find that God calls me to, to kind of do a lot of triage mm. and step into places that are in, in a little bit of a, a, a bind. Uh, there's some friends of ours who have a church in South Louisiana that got annihilated by the hurricane. And so we came in to um, come alongside and try and uh, train some more staff, uh, get everything up and running, fight with the insurance company, all that kind of thing. And so we're, we're there as as assistants to the pastor in a pastoral role. It's strange, but it's fun. Kind of like a catch-all. I mean, you're there serving yes. and yeah. in whatever area they need, uh, but you are also missionaries essentially and you've got a lot of work that you do in Africa and uh, I know you'll share about that probably as we go in your in your story um, but but there's a heart definitely for caring for people for reaching the lost it's it's exciting to hear about all that well why don't you take us back and, and I know there's a lot to share I want to get into your ministry stuff um, but for those who are just listening to the podcast, not able to see you, you had some pretty traumatic life experiences early on and, yeah. uh, take us back and, and take us through that journey. So, uh, my dad was a pastor and we were in a small town church in Louisiana and, um, it was a, a wonderful place to be, um, being a boy full of uh, adventure, I, I had an opportunity to get my hands on some fireworks at Christmas time. And about three days before Christmas, I decided I want a bigger boom than, than I was able to enjoy. And so I got a hold of a gallon of gasoline and, and just lit up my life right there. Um, <laughs> it was amazing. Um, I took that gallon of gasoline, lit it. And in the course of trying to put that fire out, I wound up taking all of it into my face and my chest, and my arms, and, and even down my throat, burning my lungs and my the fire came, came yep. inside into your lungs, into your, oh my gosh. Yep. Yep. And uh, a few, few hours later, I was, I was uh, passed away. I died uh, five times with the burn. Um, I ran into the house on fire. My, my mom, um, did her best uh, to put the fire out. By that time, the gas had kind of already burned. And so it was me. 
uh, that wow. was burning at that point. And oh my goodness. She patted me out with a towel. Um, and then she reached out. I'll, I'll never forget that moment. She reached out to, as a mother would and, and said, I'm going to, we got to get you to the hospital. And she grabbed my arm and pulled to nudge me along. And when she did, my, my arm degloved in her hand. Oh my God. The skin came off. Yeah, oh my God. And um, she was, she was slinging me off on the floor oh. um, and just said, I can't touch you, baby. Go get in the car. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, just intense, intense pain um, in the car ride to the, the hospital swelling started to set in and the levels of pain. I've never felt, I felt a lot of pains in my life and nothing even comes close to that. And, and in that moment, I knew I was dying. Wow. <laughs> Calling out to the Lord. I was seven you know, and so I didn't know um, how to pray. Uh, it wasn't like I had this, you know, dissertation on on hold. Right. You know, like, uh, dear God in heaven, who art the the equally three parts of a trinity and <laughs> capable and well able to do exceedingly beyond what I could ever ask or hope in this moment, let thy will be expressed <laughs> that you wouldn't die, you know, design right. to heal me. <laughs> we didn't have that. Um, I was just Jesus, 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 mm. Jesus. And as I called out his name, honestly, in that moment, uh, he heard such a, a humble and unsophisticated prayer. The Bible confesses he knows what we have need of even before we ask. And as I called out, uh, he sent his Holy Spirit. You know, and I realize you would have a diversity of listenership, and and respectfully, I, I acknowledge that, but I can only share exponential experientially what happened um, in that moment of uh, one calling out to Jesus. I, I I sense the presence of the Holy Spirit come, and uh, I, there was a manifestation of even speaking in tongues. Wow! Um, with no one there with me, right? You know, no one coaching me, nothing right. like that, right? the crisis and Christ. And he answered with the Holy Ghost. And what was remarkable was in that moment, it was as if to the, to the presence of God. It was like, wow. oh, the master's here. Wow. It just calm. It was really intense. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. You awesome. felt a sense of calm in the midst mm. of you, your body literally mm. on fire and burning from within. Yep. Wow. Yep. On a cellular level, uh, I would say, um, on a micro level, there was an application of a tangible piece mm. um, that, that permeated my whole person, uh, causing my uh, neurological receptors to... to they themselves be obedient to the wow. will of God rather than the, the circumstances demand. Wow. It was remarkable. It was incredible. That is so powerful. That is, I, I, I can't even imagine the type of pain that you would be experiencing. And at such a tender age and yet what a powerful response from God in that moment, right. in that immediate moment, just calling upon Jesus and feeling such an overwhelming sense of his presence. Now you said that you, you died. Was it on the way to the hospital or right then before you even went into the house at the hospital? 
right? So we, we were on the way to the hospital and by the grace of God, we made it there, not because of her driving. Uh, mom was <laughs> insane. She, we got to get there fast, right? So she hit it to get there and we got to the hospital by the, the Lord's mercy and uh, they brought me in. It was a small town, maybe five or 10,000 people and the little hospital didn't, I mean, it just didn't have the capacity and we're yeah. talking you know, 40 years ago now. Wow. Uh, so even the knowledge on what to yes, do right. uh, was, was was not widespread. Sure. You know, we didn't have YouTube. You know, what do you do with a terminally burned person? Right. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, we just right. didn't have that. Yeah. So they couldn't deal with me and they immediately sent me by transport to Auctioner's Hospital in New Orleans, Louisiana. And how far away is that? About an hour, about an hour. So you're, you okay. get to the hospital. They can't even, they can't even can't do anything talk. for you. No, no IV, nothing. They just say, get, nothing. get this boy right on the way to, yep. to another hospital. Yep. Wow. Yep. Yep. And so uh, a few minutes into that trip and it was just a transport. We had the driver, my dad and the passenger side, and then my mom in the back of the, the van. And I was on a gurney. Um, and a few minutes into the uh, drive, I passed away. Wow. And so for the next 40 minutes, I was a corpse on the way to Ashner's. Are you, were, you were dead for 40 minutes? Yes. Wow. Yep. Yep. My mom couldn't touch me. Everywhere she would touch me, I, I would split. My, my skin would split apart. Wow. And so she just, she just arched her arm over where I was laying and just said, Jesus, please don't take my son. Please don't take my son. You know, when we got to the hospital, um, they came out to meet us and um, they threw open the back doors of the ambulance, uh, the transport. And they just said, he's, he's gone. Wow. I mean, ligature was already starting to set in. My blood was starting to settle. Um, obviously my heart was not uh, pumping and moving around things it was supposed to. Um, and there was no airway. Um, my, my throat had been melted together. Oh my gosh. Um, and they didn't, I mean, they couldn't have known that. Right. So they brought me in and uh, they intubated to do a resuscitation technique just to say they did, um, you know, to, for covering. And because the moment, they were already, they were already saying yeah, that he's not going to make it. Already deceased, already dead. They wanted to check the boxes. Wow. Pretty much. And they shoved that tube down my throat. And when that, that tube penetrated past the melt and made airway, um, it was as if God had put my life on pause. Wow. Because the moment that it breached uh, that bind, I breathed. Wow. I mean, immediately. Immediately. It, and so it's because the throat had closed and melted together that you were not able to yep. breathe, that you Correct. died. But as soon Correct. as they got that, that in, you were able to breathe and come back. Right. Wow. So for, for that amount of time, it was mechanically impossible for air to come into yeah. my lung system. Yeah. Uh, it was not available. Yeah. Um, so God had persisted my life through a disconnection that should not be survivable yes right yeah do you do you remember do you remember that experience as far as 
you know, people have these afterlife experiences. Was there anything that you remember from that or anything that you experienced during that time? Or did Absolutely. you just kind of, yeah? Yep. Um, so the first time, and I guess for the longest period of time, the other time that I, uh, I was only dead for a few moments, the other four times, um, but for that particular journey, coming across the, the causeway bridge from Covington to New Orleans, um, I remember a darkness setting in, but not a, not a scary darkness. Mm. It, it was more, more of a, a, just a void of space, more than it was an absence of light. Wow. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. The, the way that I've, I've tried to explain it is, you know, if you, if you uh, have a lot of uh, comforters and, and, and quilts on your bed and, you toss and turn and you wake up in the morning and you're in that cocoon. Of, mm. I can't really move and I, I don't really want to. Right. You know, you're just in this beautiful, peaceful, warm space. And it's yeah. like, I got to get up and I don't want to get up. It's, it was much like that. Okay. Um, just this incredible comfort. And I remember um, very particularly that the weight, the, the, the constraints, of, of the definition of who I was. So mm -hmm. seven years old, I was, you know, what's that four feet tall and, you know, 80 pounds or whatever. The definitions of that were gone. I, I wow. was, I was a consciousness in a space. Wow. Okay. It is way out. And, and all the pain, the, the, the urgency of life was, was absent. Wow. It was gone. And then there was a voice um, a, a, a kind voice, but an authoritative voice that said, not yet, not yet, wow. not yet. Three times it repeated that phrase. Wow. And then the fourth, the fourth thing I heard was, okay. And when I heard, okay, um, I became aware of life again, the definitions of myself, like just absolutely crushed in. Wow. On the space I was in. Okay. Uh, like I, I like almost a prison cell, just mm -hmm. boom in. And the 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 feeling of life, wow. the, the weight of breath, the wow. you know, atmospheric sense of there's stuff around. Yeah. Came back. And the and the pain as well. And the pain rushed wow. in. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And and what felt like a, a few seconds was 40, 40 straight. minutes that's yep. incredible yeah wow it so was what, a, it was a, a harrowing moment yes but a a beautiful moment but i'm sure your parents just absolutely overwhelmed with with you know watching you and especially your mom watching you but but an incredibly mature i mean the way you're describing it now of course as you process through it as an right. adult but it's it's powerful, you know, almost the way you're describing life, life in and of itself has its own weight, not just, you know, let alone the pain right. that you're dealing with, but being back in this kind of imprisoned body and, and life and gravitational pull and all of that. Exactly. So they, they got the, what was it? A, a tracheotomy or. Um, yeah, they installed a, a tracheotomy okay. right here, yep. back hole, uh, that I kept for six straight years. Wow. Uh, from that moment. And uh, I was burned uh, at, at second and third uh, and first degree 
about 80 some odd percent of my body oh, as man. well in, as internally. Wow. Uh, the first degree was probably the greatest uh, portion in that all just eased up. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, bad sunburns go second. So you can sure. imagine more of a scorch than anything else. Uh, the, the second degrees uh, were probably 20% beyond the 30% that is just torched. Mm. So um, the, in those second degree areas, there's some scarring, discoloration, but where you see uh, the wounds now so clearly, yeah. these were those deep third degrees. Wow. Um, and that's my chest, my arms, my face, uh, a few other places. And and those deep third degrees were, were, were so deeply damaged that it had reached the muscle. Mm. Um, they would have to take my body uh, raw and they would set it into uh, a tub of bleach. And then they would take uh, steel wool and wire brushes. Are you serious? Yeah, it was the order of the day to cleanse, you know, and so they would they would scrub those pits and peel out all the the dead skin and the decay skin and uh, the damaged skin. Like, how did that not kill you by itself? Well, I mean, it hurt, okay? (laughs) Um, But but the infection was the greater enemy because my protective coating was gone. That's true. So any any microbe uh, that would be harmful had access, you know, through, what, 40% of my person. Right, right. And so it was, you know, that was the issue. You know, we hear about, um, you know, uh, staph infections and and MRSA Mm -hmm. and all those kinds of things. Mm Uh, at that place, there's just nothing in the way, you know, oh, and so wow. they had to do what they had to do oh. because of the blood loss. Um, my veins started collapsing. Wow. Um, they had to, to do what's called a cut down. They drilled into my ankle um, and into my feet to find arterials to, to push food and liquid. Wow. Um, yeah, pretty pretty unenjoyable um and then because of that weakness to my circulatory system they they were hesitant for any kind of narcotic or pain med so all of that treatment I was fully aware and fully conscious you felt all of that pain Mm -hmm. oh my gosh oh my gosh but again that's where the Lord overwhelmed that moment because um, there were other kids. I remember that room really well. Um, later on, now I, I went into something like a conscious coma because the swelling set in in earnest. My eyes swelled shut, my nose swelled shut, my ears swelled shut. Wow. So I couldn't commune or anything for well over a month mm. uh, or more because of that damage. I mean, during that time, that you know, the, the Lord allowed my physical, my spiritual eyes to open. Yeah. I saw some incredible things we could touch on that but yeah um because of that shutdown my my days were measured in the amount of pain that people would bring because when it was daytime there was more pain mm. otherwise I, w- I didn't know what what time it was ever so as they as that treatment went on about a month in I still had no covering on my my muscles and and all that just open raw uh the swelling went down I was starting to be able to interact and they would set me into this bleach and I would take the brush from them and I would scrub my own wounds. Oh. I would play with them. And they, they went to my parents and they said, you know, what, what's, what's different wow. about your son? 
and um, you know, mom and dad, they couldn't go back there. Obviously, they right. they said, "What do you mean?" They said, "Well, these other children—they're not burned as bad as he is, mm. and they rave, they fight us, they 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 curse us." Oh wow! Your your son—he's playing with us. <laughs> what's what's different and i mean again the the only answer was so simple it almost it almost seems inappropriate how simple it is it's just mm-hmm. jesus. right just jesus i right. mean you know the, the the definitions of how he does what he does or you know the the way that divinity accomplishes the miraculous i mean wait you know that's the how many angels dance on the head of a pen type conversation. Right, right. But for the common man that's in pain and just needs a touch. Yes. yes. It's just Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's so simple. Wow. And, we, you know, we add the complexities and we, we try and we try and add almost stumbling blocks to mm-hmm. faith. Right. Like, um, you know, if you give this much, God will do a miracle this big. Right. You know, if you do this, then God does this. And and I think if we could just understand the magnitude of God's yes. love that is manifested in the Christ. Yes. I just think we would be in awe all yes. the time. Because the only answer we could give them was, you know, Jesus. Just mm. Jesus. Wow. Just Jesus. Wow. Mikey, I just, just the thought of that experience and that pain is just overwhelming to me. And for you at a little boy, I mean, you truly had an encounter with Christ that protected you and gave you strength because what you experienced, I mean, adults, many adults could not even, I would not have been able to handle. I don't even even understand. And I'm thinking to your insides I mean, your insides were affected. Your insides yeah. were were melted. How did they even begin to to help that or do anything with that? What did they? What what could they do? I mean, right. So um, the four more times I died, it's kind of funny now. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the rearview mirror is hilarious. Um, the the windshield is not. So, um, you know, four more times I passed away uh, during my time in the hospital, and each time it was because, as the swelling would start to recede, they would they would cut the the little ribbon that held my trach, and they would pull that trach out, huh. and they would say, "Okay, you know, your swelling's going down. You need to start relying on your lungs again. We don't want you to become dependent on that trach." And so they would take the trach out, and and four four more times, my eye drove back in my head. My, oh, you know, I'd my stop breathing, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and they oh. don't. I mean, they have no idea. They're like, "Oh, the swelling isn't down enough." <laughs> You know, so the other four times you died was because they kept trying to take out. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's like you're killing me, doc. Seriously, like legit, you're killing me. And so that, you know, I mean, God miraculously saved every time in the magnitude of the first time. I mean, one time we were on like the seventh floor of the hospital and, um, they came in under doctor's order and and pulled that trach. And I mean, God bless them. They're just doing their best, you know, I don't blame them at all. Um, And they're very educated people making good uh, decisions with the scope of knowledge they had. They just didn't, nobody lives 
from internal burns. Nobody. So wow. it's just a, it's a zero. Seriously. It's a good, like once, yeah. once that happens, you're burned internally, nobody survives. Absolutely not. I mean, right now, half of my lungs are scar tissue. This sitting here talking, doing rec, fun directing at camp. Yeah. Half of my lungs are torched. Wow. So even right now, um, you don't live from this. Wow. But at that time, there was zero percent of survival. So they wouldn't have taken the time to look and go, you know, what's going on in there? So as the swelling went down, they pulled one of those occasions. My mom's in the room. My dad's in the room. The nurse comes in, cuts that little cord and pulls that trach out. And, you know, I start the whole eyes in the back of the head trying to gas for air. And mom's like, he's dying. Yes. She said, oh, sweetheart, he's just got to learn to breathe. It's going to be okay. No. At that point, mom runs out past the nurse's station down the hall to the elevator, there's a lady stepping onto the elevator. She grabs her shoulder. Now she's in plain clothes. She's dressed nicely, but she's not in uniform. Yeah. She said, my son is dying. This lady looks at her and says, where? Wow. They ran back together to that room. She takes a step inside and said, he's gone. <gasps> pushes mom out, pushes dad out, turns to the nurse's station, starts barking. I need a crash cart. Wow. I need a defibrillator. Wow. I need an innovation. And I need it right now. Wow. So at that point, they go to trying to you know, work on me. My mom just aimlessly walks down. It was so hard because every day my parents would stand in the window of the hospital. And they, they recounted as they looked out over New Orleans and they saw people going about their lives, just doing normal things, driving up the road, sitting in the park, fishing on the bank of the Mississippi. And, and dad said, what are you people doing? Don't you realize my son's life yeah. is in danger? I mean, it was so yeah. singular. It, yes. it felt so, yes. so important to them. Well, one would stand in a window and pray, God, please don't take my son. Wow. The other one would stand in the window and say, no one should have to live like this. Wow. Take him. Wow. And on any given day. It would switch. It, it would switch. <laughs> It depended on the horror of the day, you know? So mom had walked down the hall. She found a bathroom and she just crumbled in the corner and started crying. Oh my gosh. A few minutes later, she felt a shoulder on her, her hand on her shoulder. And she looked up and it was that woman that was getting onto the elevator. And she said, honey, somebody wants your son to live. Oh. Mom said, oh, he's he's alive. And she said, yes. Wow. And she said, you don't understand this, nor could you know this. I'm the head of respiratory for this entire hospital. My office is on the first floor. We're on about the seventh. Yeah. She said, you not know. I cannot tell you why I came up to this floor. She said, but I am the only one that could have done what had to happen to save his life. You serious? And she, your mom, I was going to ask, your mom didn't know who it was that she's no, right. Just no, ran, I'm no. randomly grabbing this lady, but she happens to be the head yep. of, oh my gosh. Yep. Oh, Miracles. And, the, and that was the, that was the, yeah. And that's, I mean, it's just Jesus. I mean, that's, that's what you can say because the, the, the preponderance of coincidences mm. uh, creates a, a correlative reality. Yes. Right. That right. 
there's so many coincidences in a row. You have right. to come to a place where it's not coincidence. Right. There's a, there's an organized response. Right. To this situation. Absolutely. And so it became so evident as things unfolded, as miracles mm. took place, as wonders unfolded, that there was just there was an orchestrator mm. in the back bringing hope. Yeah. In the midst of hopelessness, you know, wow. and, and I would say this, a lot of people say, well, God did this. No, no. I lit the match. Mm. I disobeyed. I was, you know, seven years old. Sure. Uh, this was back when kids were tougher and, and we did stuff <laughs> earlier. I, you know, I was told don't play with fire. Don't blow stuff up. Right. You know, don't shoot the car. You know right. I mean? It's the kind of stuff we were, we were raised with. We just right. outside, you know, 10 hours out of the day. And so I knew what I did was a mistake. Hmm. I just didn't know the magnitude of the fallout. Wow. And rather than to say God caused this, right. Right. I would say God honored the will hmm. of a disobedient child, hmm. but he had in, in his back pocket, in his plans, a way to recover this Wow. for the goodness of my own life and the goodness wow. of his glory. Well, how did you, I think that's important. absolutely. And it, I mean, it, you know, the passage in Romans eight that tells us all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, God is able right. to redeem everyone in every situation. And he does it in amazing ways. And I think in your way, you know, he's really showing off, like he's showing, yeah. he's showing what he can do because it's, it's truly a miracle. So how long were you in the hospital and recovering from all of this? Was it years? Mm, to the best of my knowledge, it was three to six months. Um, I mean, you're talking about a whirlwind. Three days before Christmas, I was cooked. When I got back to the house, uh, the Christmas tree was still up. The gifts were under it and all the needles were off and it wow. covered all the presents. So just a dead tree in the middle of Wow. The- the living room. And so, I mean, you know, we're talking a long time, Yeah, you know, and so God had brought about the, the stamina to get through that initial crisis. Well, mm-hmm. then beyond the initial crisis, it was years of physical recovery. Yes. Just to try and gain a normal existence. So yes. the tracheotomy was a, was six years that I had that trait. Um, and so every day that was, had to be suctioned, it had to be boiled, it had to be sterilized. So, I mean, that was a, a daily, many times a day process for six straight years. Wow. Uh, my, my arm was, was melted together. And so I had to, <gasps> had to work that wow. um, constantly just to get mobility there, shoulder the same way. And so there was therapies in place that I had to just seek a level of interaction with life that was bordering on normal. Mm. And then as far as, you know, emotionally, mentally, you know, this, this podcast being about the soul, I think it's pertinent to say that probably the greater recovery was, was trying to find out how to accommodate a new person Mm. standing in the place of a dead person. So the morning I got burned, I knew a kid. His name was was Mikey. 
he looked a certain way. He sounded a certain way. He mm. felt a certain way. He had certain thoughts, ideas, dreams, and hopes. Then I got burned. The next time I looked in a mirror, I didn't know who was there. Wow. I didn't know his voice. Mm. His dreams were vastly different wow. than the kid that, that I left. And mm -hmm. so this boy I was born and developed into until seven years old, right before my eighth birthday, he died. Wow. And there was this new person. And so in a, in a lot of ways, there was a blank slate of identity mm. that had to try and fill in some blanks mm. and figure out who I was. I mean, you still had the, those things that were persistent, like who's mom, who's dad, right. who's sister, you know, what foods do I like, what foods do I not like? Obviously, those things were in play, but identity wise, just who am I? You know, right. what's my motivation? Right. <laughs> it's, that was all new. Yeah. And it was all different. Wow. And it wasn't, it wasn't very desirable. Uh, you know, the thrust upon me because of my own failure of obedience and, mm -hmm. and error and judgment was a life that no one would want, but mm -hmm. you're stuck with figuring out. Was there, so, you're stuck. sorry, was no, there, did you struggle with anger, with bitterness, with, uh, no, not really anger. Um, not really anger. I would say the, the better word is despair. Hmm. Um, angry would mean I had a target to be frustrated with. I recognized that God had rescued me. I mean, I saw angels in the hospital. Wow. Um, I had, I had received miracles of a biblical magnitude I, wow. I recognized at at that age i recognized that god had rescued me and so yeah. i i entered into even at that age an obligation is the word i would use a a life obligation um to god for his purchase of my damaged self so i wasn't anger and it wasn't really um, a sadness per se. I feel like that's too simple of a word. Sad is, you know, my, my team didn't win the Super Bowl. Right. This was so profound. It was despair. It was wow. this, I can't see where this is going. Yeah. Um, standing, like I said, the rear view mirror is full of laughs. Sure. The windshield is terrifying. Absolutely. So I, pardon me, I couldn't figure out how to redeem what I was left with mm. to be useful. Wow. And so, you know, are you going to play football? Well, I don't know. Half my lungs are destroyed mm. and I have a tracheotomy and uh, I break easily. Are you going to, you know, go play baseball? Uh, same, same. Are you going to join the chess team? I don't know that I can do that without having sex. I mean, every normal boy interaction was reduced to, I can't really do that. Yeah. Now, again, in the rear view, 
that's good. Mm. In the windshield, it was hell. Yeah. In the rear view, it's good because I had to mature at mock Jesus. You know what yes. I mean? Right. I, right. Yeah. I, I had to develop a, a mentality, uh, a, a cerebral approach to life hmm. at a rate that, that most folks develop over decades. Yes. It had to come in a couple of years. Yes. Because I, I was answering real questions about life and death. Right. And future and survival. I mean, yes. Every day there was, death was sitting there. Wow. I mean, like one time my dad took my trach out to clean it. And that stama or the hole closed too quickly. <gasps> and so he, he brings back the trach and goes to put it in and, and it doesn't fit. Oh my gosh. That hole closes. I'm dead. <gasps> and so he, I will never forget. We're on a red flower patterned couch. Very fluffy. Very nice. He is on top of me with his knee in my chest, both hands on that trach. Oh, pushing it into my throat, oh. driving it past my Adam's apple. I felt like my neck was going to crush. I, oh I felt God. like I was being being choked out to death oh my God. to save my life. Right. And I remember that 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 pop where it, it passed that bind and shoved oh. into place. And he's shaking. Yes. And yes. I'm trembling. Yes. And I know what's waiting. And that was daily. That was life. So despair was, was there, but, but, but the Lord never abandoned me to my despair. So where my flesh and my, my life would be, there's nothing for you. Hmm. There's that voice of the Lord and the intimacy developed very quickly in the hospital. Um, as he spoke to my heart and encouraged me, his presence was near. As I said, the, you know, I was visited by celestial creatures of some kind, wow. whatever their their rank and file. I, I'd be beyond my pay grade. Right? <laughs> you know, they ministered to me, and so yeah. the divine, the the supernatural, was not unfamiliar or weird to me. And so, wow. in the face of the realities, there was hope. In the face of the pain, there was hope. There was just that constant encouragement of trust me, follow me. I have a plan. I have a plan. I have a plan. And those got, you know, those got me through the difficult days. I mean, there were some really hard days where, you know, on one particular day, I sought to kill myself. I wow. took a 44 Magnum pistol and put it to my head. And, and I was sitting on the end of the bed and I said, oh. God, I'm so sorry. I'm worthless. And this was probably six or eight or eight. I had my trach. So this would have been six years down the road, 13, 14, somewhere in there. Wow. I, I put that in my head. It was a bad day at school. You know, they would say things like, we wish yeah. you would have said it's right. Yeah. Because you're hard to look at and stuff like that. So I, I had that gun in my head and I said, God, I'm so sorry. I'm worthless. Oh, gosh. And he, he spoke to me in that moment, and it shocked me, Dr. Leonard. Um, he said two words that irritated me. <laughs> he said, I disagree. <laughs> I'll never forget oh. that moment. I'm just, I'm just shocked of like, excuse me? <laughs> I, I, I was like, I am the definition oh. 
worthless. They're, oh. they're, I mean, if you look it up, my voice is garbage. My face is a sideshow. My lungs are trash. I have nothing. Wow. I have, I have literally nothing for you. How can you possibly say you disagree? And the Lord's so tender. So sweet. He said, son. <laughs> he said, in all of heaven, there was nothing more precious to, to me than what I gave for you. Wow. He made this statement, and this is what rocked me. He said, in all my power, I could not have made something more valuable than my boy. Wow. He said, you're not worthless to me. You're worth everything. Yes. Oh, that's and so me. That became kind of my trajectory of just accepting his factual perspective wow. of my value ab above the opinions yes. that try to spark yes. up and chat. Above the the subjectivity that we feel about ourselves, right. the value. I love that what you just said, the factual reality, the factual yep. value. It's fact. This is how much God loves us. And it's so beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. You, you experienced a miracle, not just once, but so many times over every day as you're battling for your life. And he was there every, every step of the way. Every moment. And the remarkable thing is, I think that in this culture, particularly, we, we have a lot of mental health um, issues. Uh, and I think that the church has not done a very good job right. of articulating that God is also a whiz at recovering us yes. emotionally, yes. mentally. Yes. I, I think that the impression, unfortunately, has been uh, propagated that the church mm. helps you with finances mm. and the church helps you with back pains. Right. But all of that other stuff that goes on between your ears and behind yeah. your eyes, they make counselors for that. Well, the scripture says he's our wonderful counselor. Yes. Yes. It says man looks on the outward appearance and God mm. peers on the heart. Well, the heart is your mind, your will, your emotions. Right. He knows that intimately. He right. fabricated the groundwork for the who we are. Mm. Who better to administer healing words and to set trajectory for well-being than the architect of the framework? Right. And I feel like we've done a poor job. So mm. confessionally, I would say, yeah, oh, yes, God healed me of my burns. And people would say, well, that's just great. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank God, the healer. 
uh, you know, Jehovah Nisi or what. We read that in the scriptures so clearly. We know what he's capable of there. I think I would confessionally say that the Lord brought well-being into my identity. Wow. Which I think was the more difficult thing. Absolutely. Skin grows on its own. Muscles, Mm. tissues, they restore. Bones mend. Mm. But the heart. Yes. You're at the wheel of your heart. Wow. And it doesn't repair on its own. You have to decide to seek healing and seek help and seek well-being. And I think that the simple answers of inoculating our suffering with with drugs and and mind-altering things and displays and, you know, addictions of uh, digital sort and otherwise, I think that's that's become our answer when God is saying, no, I fixed that too. Mm -hmm. Come unto me, all you. Yes weary yes and heavy laden and i'll give you rest and he did that for dr yes so beautiful i think you you have said it better than than i ever could this well and that is spiritual formation that is spiritual growth it is into our our wholeness god wants us to become whole and that starts with that that will, that heart, right? As he transforms that. And as we find our value, our worth in him, he is able then to heal all other processes in life. And we have relegated that to, um, we've separated it. We've got these, you know, these um, fragmented areas of our life. We go to this doctor for that and this person of that and this person for that instead of seeing our whole healing as part of God's journey with us. And there are, we do need counselors. We do need doctors. We do need pastors. We, everybody needs to fulfill that role, but we have taken, we really have removed mental health and our value and our identity. We have taken it out of the church or we've simplified it to a point where it just, um, all you need to do is believe or just think differently That's not what you experienced. You experienced God in tangible ways. And I firmly believe that is a part of faith, that that our growth, our spiritual growth has to be experiential, that we encounter God in real and tangible ways, not just something I hear or think or believe, but God truly takes me in these journeys and he transforms me. And you absolutely needed it to such a profound level and and he met you there and it's and it's so incredible it's it's it is possible to experience god at that level without having to undergo what you have but you were so desperate for him and and he 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 says as much that when we are truly truly desperate for him and we seek him we'll find him how long after that did you begin to kind of discover your your calling, so to speak, to mis- ministry, to missions work? Okay, so this is a little bit of a hard question because I ministered while I was suffering. Wow. Um, when I was eight, 
uh, so I couldn't be separated from my mom very much because she did a lot of the caregiving. Sure. Dad was pastoring professionally. And so he had a lot of hours he was putting in for those things. And, you know, but besides what people might think, a pastor doesn't fulfill his role for just two hours at a pulpit. There's a lot that goes right. into it. Absolutely. You know, so um, I was with her. Well, when she went out of the country, I went out of the country. So okay. she went to Mexico. I went to Mexico with a trach and she suctioned me out there. Wow. And so while I was there, I, I got to lead my first person to Jesus. Wow. Um, Jesus with my story. And I think early on that experience anchored in the possibility of there being goodness mm. in this. I, I think the very first, I, I'll never forget that one that decided to follow Jesus because God had brought me out of the hospital. And I was, I mean, I was a child yeah. and I shared what was going on and they accepted the Lord right there in, I want to say Matamoros, Mexico. Wow. And that was a validation wow. of possibility. Yes. That this could be more than just a bad story. Yeah. That this could be more than just what not to do. Right. You know, an anecdote of caution. This could be... This could be a glory to God. Mm. And so from there, a boldness came in. And, and a couple of alongside that was an obligation that I recognized outside of Christ. I would be dead. Mm. I, um, profoundly, for me, all Christians recognize that if it's not for Christ, we're dead. Sure. I understand that. But for me, I look in the mirror and I see the evidences of the truth of that wow. statement. And it's literal. Yeah, it's really yeah. literal. Had he not, had he not stepped in, mm. I would not exist. It's a true miracle, oh. like you would read about in the Bible, right? If if, right. if he right. hadn't stepped in and either raised, you know, Lazarus from the dead or the widow's son at Nain, right. they would still be dead. And it's literal for you. It's not just a spiritual death; it's a literal physical death. It is a physical death. And so when I look in the mirror, I like to tell people that, you know, you see scars and stuff. I see a signature mm. that says Jesus was here. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a mark that outside of his presence, I could not be. So that became an, an overarching clarity that I am in a life debt. Wow. So it was pretty easy to be obligated to God since I owed him the mm. opportunity for existence. So there was that, that kind of drove me. But as I started seeing validation of my suffering and people being blessed and God being glorified from it, right. that became very addicting. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I, I say, you know, kind of the dirty little secret is I wasn't perfect. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm closing out a service and going to my hotel or going to my home and, and, I'm weeping and I'm crushed and I don't want to live and God's dealing with me. And there are people that are leaving that service full of the Holy ghost, full of eternal life's hope who are just living for the first time. And it's like so strange that you know, he's using this imperfect vessel, this broken vessel to make new ones. Can I, and if that doesn't 
if that doesn't glorify God, yeah. if that doesn't show yeah. you who's responsible, right? I don't know what could. That he would use such broken vessels of all of us, right? For any right. of us to look at our talents and our spiritual gifts and think, wow, we are, we are really something. Look at all the people that we're ministering to. And yet in those moments when nobody's looking and we realize how broken we are, how, how messy we are, that reminder that it truly is not, it is, it is not without God that we are doing these things and ministering. Can I ask him, can I ask you to uh, maybe clarify that a little? So even as you got older, you were still struggling with a sense of despair and depression. to, to put it in perspective, so I was burned when I was seven. I turned eight in the hospital. Um, I was 27 when I married. And I had the profound fear, the, the visceral fear, that one day my wife was going to roll over in bed. Wow. And look me in the face and go, ah, I've made a wow. mistake. I don't want to be here anymore. Oh, wow. The, the, the reality of fear, hmm. of doubt, of emotional recovery. I mean, fast forward a few years past that, I have my first child. And I'm there in the room and I'm holding my wife's leg. And, you know, the miracle of life is taking right. place. Right? right. And here comes my daughter. And in the back of my head, it's. Well, is she going to run away like other kids oh, do? Oh, wow. You know, and, and it's not a woe is me thing. It's just, right. it's, it's a reality, reality yes. of life. Right. And, you know, those times that she, and today, I mean, she's 16 and she comes up and she just buries her head in my chest. She goes, I love my daddy. You're the best daddy. They love me as me. And so you talk about loneliness. You talk about rejection. You talk about isolation. You talk about struggles and they're not done even now to 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 impart that i am perfect yes would be to impart a lie right i i still wake up and i war um to wow. to to face it all i mean there are times that you know today the pain is pretty high there are times it's like man i'm tired you know mm. and and while i am under no threat of taking my own life there is that sensibility of i'm not necessarily sure i want to stay in this one you know it's that <laughs> um, even so come now lord jesus you know you just you get wore down and and, yes. and the reality of being alive and the, and the truth of it all is that it's hard yeah you know and young ministers out there that would listen to your podcast i would speak this into them that if you're waiting for the moment that you're perfect enough to carry the cross of Christ and the message of Christ, mm. you will never do it. Right. And if you go out there with the idea that you're going to present yourself as perfect so that you can be worthy of it, no. you are going to begin in a lie and a falsehood That's and right. you will fail. That's right. You'll fail. That's right. Remain in the reality of your struggle. Follow mm. Jesus. Be dependent on Jesus. I know every day I wake up and I depend on the Lord to sustain mm. me, like practically, in wow. that my lungs should not be able yes. to provide right. the air I need right, right. now, right here, right. for 48 years. Wow. 
my lungs should not be able to provide the air I need to exist and to function. Wow. And I run and I play and I, I climb mountains and I played football and I work out. I run Spartan races. Wow. And it's, it's impossible. But it, it, it is as if God breathes into me every day the capacity to take on the day. Yes. You know, and so I recognize my dependency on Jesus even right now. And if you are of a mindset that you need to get to a place you're not dependent on Jesus before yeah. you can step out and serve him, That's you're good. building a recipe for nuclear failure. Yes. Well, the dependency that you're describing is so much more real than what I think others have to experience. And yet that is the type of dependency that Jesus wants from us. He doesn't right. look at us as dependent people and say, why can't you do this on your own? He's saying, no, no, abide in me, right? In John 15, remain in me and I will remain in you. This is where you get your life, your sustenance. Um, it is through me. And you are a living and practical example of that and what that looks like. And I, I, I have to tell you, I so appreciate what you shared that this is something that it wasn't just, it didn't just go away when, when Jesus no. showed up and said, you know, I disagree. I think you are the most, you know, you are worth dying for. It has taken your whole life and will continue. There will be the continued, continued struggle to against the human or the fallen and the broken part of us uh, to see the value and the worth. And yet, and yet every day you're turning to Jesus for right. life, for sustenance, for everything. And, and that's the, that's the reality that we depend on God. Mental health is not being without suffering. Mm. Mental health is suffering and coming to the right conclusions mm. on how to face it. Yeah. We all, as long as you are alive, there is a weight, there is a pressure, there is a, yes. a difficulty to life. Yes. I mean, it just is what it is. It's yeah. not easy. It broke in the Garden of Eden. It has not been repaired fully. We can experience the elation of knowing God yes. and having respites of peace mm. that has clarity and right. understanding. But when we come off of those divine highs, mm. we're faced with bills and broken houses yes. and car notes yes. and insurance payments, and sicknesses and disease mm. and human suffering and poor leadership at top levels that we have no impact on. Right. The reality of it all isn't that we don't suffer. It isn't that we don't have difficulty. It isn't that we don't have questions and doubts. Mental health is being empowered by truth mm. so that you can arrive to the right conclusions as mm. you struggle. Right. And that's where I always come to. I'm empowered by my knowledge, my experiences, the faithfulness of God to always arrive at it's going to be okay. But this wow. is it, this, 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 yes. But I know it's going to be okay. It isn't mental health isn't that I don't struggle or I'm not right. depressed or I don't right. have bad days right. or I don't have despair set in. Mental health is I am equipped. Hmm. By experiences. Yes. And the truth of God's word. Hmm. 
Yes. To be able to properly navigate those moments and arrive to the conclusion of hope. That's mental health. Wow. Pastor Mikey, you are a living example of what it means to to serve Christ in the midst of horrific circumstances. You, your sense of humor, your tender spirit, your heart towards God, it is beautiful. And when everybody, many other people, I myself included, probably would have given up, you you have persevered and the Lord has, the Lord has just used you in such mighty ways. And I know that your story will continue to impact the lives of others. Um, I'd love to bring you back. I kind of want to end it here because I'd love to bring you back at a later time and talk about your ministry. And I just feel like right here encapsulates such a beautiful moment and just a time a true testimony of the Lord's work in your life. And so I almost want to push pause and then I want to come back, bring you back at a, in a future, future time and have you share what you've been doing uh, ministry wise. Cause I know you've been, you know, all over and um, thank you so much for coming on. And sharing. Thank you so much. Uh, again, I just, I am just my, my own faith. I think, you know, this is one of the reasons why our stories are so impacting um, and impactful for each other. Our faith, especially when it may be struggling, can find strength in another person's faith. That I see what the Lord has done in your life, and I believe that He is the same God and that He loves me the same. And therefore, I can rest a little bit on your faith and take a little bit of your faith as it helps to buoy my own faith. And I, I, I really think that there's there's power in that. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been, a, it's been a joy having you. Well, it this, is my joy. This has been the Nefesh Podcast, episode 51. We have had Pastor Mikey Cheshire uh, uh, on sharing his amazing, miraculous story and his journey with Jesus. The intimacy that he has reflected has just been so beautiful. And we're, we will definitely bring him back. And we will talk to you all next time.